Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Hello and welcome to another episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. This week I'm real excited. I've got just a fantastic guest on. His name is Matt Boguslawski. Matt is an attorney and spends a lot of time dealing with issues that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is putting in place to try and limit some of the importation of wildlife. And uh, so just a very interesting story and background. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Well, I want to welcome you. It's always a pleasure to have fellow San Antonio residents on the show, but your scope is so much farther than just San Antonio. The reach that you touch is literally across the ocean through all of just about all of sub-Saharan Africa with you, the work that you do, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Well, thank you also very much for having me. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, I'd love to get more in-depth in that. And uh... Well, recording the episode, we had a slight issue and I did lose some of Matt's initial conversation related to being in Africa. So this picks back up and he'll start in again. Sorry. In Africa, I mean, the population is absolutely exploding. The villages and everything are right on the boundaries and borders of all the hunting areas and the national parks. And you have the hunting areas serving as the buffer zones and the boundaries of the national parks. So it truly is crucial. And you look at a place like Tanzania, you have uh, approximately 420,000 square kilometers set aside for wildlife, which is a combination of national parks and hunting areas. 305,000 square kilometers of that is hunting areas. So the vast majority of land set aside for wildlife in Tanzania is in hunting areas, and Tanzania holds 50% of Africa's wild lion population. Well, doesn't by putting it under, say, a hunting zone allow the, the safari operators in that area are very effective at running their anti-poaching campaign? are they not yeah i mean just like the vast you know a lot of them yes you know nobody's all you know i'll say you know every operator is different every operator has to maintain some level of anti-poaching and whether it can be now supporting government in conducting anti-poaching in their area with fuel and rations and, and money or whether it's carrying on their own anti-poaching but yes in order for you to get we can now like to tanzania because that's my kind of my area of specialty is you know in order for you to get your blocks reallocated to you you need to put in a three-year report where you break down all your expenditures, whether it's community development, anti-poaching, everything, in order for you to get your blocks reallocated. Because the main goal is to get your blocks back that you've been putting all this money into. So, you know, as a hunting operator, you're obviously immediately kind of wanting, you, you want to get your areas back because you've been putting your money in there. So you want to protect it as much as you can. So it's not over, you don't want to overshoot the area because you're only going to hurt yourself when you get the area back. You don't want to let the poachers run loose because it's just going to cause big problems. You need to deal with human wildlife conflict with the villagers because you're going to have to deal with them for the next five years because you know running operations in these hunting country, countries is extremely expensive very over millions and millions of dollars from the american standpoint when you see that i think the vast majority of americans believe that uh, sub-saharan africa is just one big open fenceless game rich preserve as as really pushed by places like disney that everybody just lives in harmony and that's not really what you find when you go over there is it uh no no, not at all. I mean, you see 
um, poaching and in high numbers, you also see, you know, the villages themselves, even whether it's in, in the area or on the outskirts of the area, having a deal with wildlife in terms of crop raiding elephants and, you know, maybe rogue lions or left, you know, trying to get their cattle or the, you know, potential, you know, um, human lion conflict in terms of man eaters and stuff like that. Yeah, people don't see the reality of it. They don't see the millions and millions of people Africa's getting every year and they need space. Or, and they need farmland and they need places to take their cattle and they don't see the huge the conflict that's going on there what i noticed and i've only been there once if the safari operator is not in there providing jobs and resources to the local population and helping to protect their herds of goats and cattle the wildlife will lose and it won't just be the predatory wildlife it'll be all of it from the grazers all the way to the the big cats that everybody wants to protect they all lose if that poaching campaign is not kept in place yeah no i mean um, when you snaring is such an indiscriminate way of trying to get bush meat whether it's commercial or subsistence bush meat so it can you know they can hit gold and get their impala or they can get there and there's a leopard in the trap and all of a sudden well that's going to get left there i'm not dealing with this problem or you know maybe wait for it to die and come back for the skin or something it, it's a big issue and it's all very connected because even if an area gets overtaken by poaching or even uh, as a hunting operator has to leave like what we saw in Botswana that's going on right now you see poaching running rampant only reason why I believe you're not hearing about it so much in Botswana is because the elephant population is so so high that almost the poaching that go- is going on there right now is playing the effect of the the calling that needed to happen there for so long but right now the poaching numbers that are going on there is, is unheard of the community are not getting support that they used to have. So now what you've done is you released thousands of, of the best hunters, elephant hunters in Africa, and you, you took away their job and their livelihood and their source of food. Well, I'll tell you, they're going to find it. And they're going to find it quick. You know, when it comes, you know, I don't, I've never been in that situation. I'm very grateful to not have ever been in that situation. But uh, if I believe I had a very good, you know, set of skills and all of a sudden, you know, I don't have any means of making a livelihood anymore. I don't, I don't blame people in those kind of situations for having to go and support them. No, they have a family to take care of. And as you said, these folks are extremely well-trained. They have a valuable skill set and it'll get put to use one way or another, either for the protection of wildlife or for detriment of it. Yes, sir. Now, I know you're getting ready to take off for the Safari Club International show. Uh, We were able to meet up for a little bit at the Dallas Safari Club show. Uh, You're very active as you go through these different shows. Now, this is show season, so there's a lot of traveling that gets done. Yes, sir. How often do do you attend these shows on a regular basis? Is this something that's very common for you? Uh, I've always attended the shows ever since I started in the hunting, hunting industry. So whenever I was about uh, 16, 17, I started going to the shows. I don't attend as many shows as, as John Jackson. I mean, he's at every single show out there. I don't think he's been home for about a month and a half. And he's still got a couple more after Vegas. So I attend mainly Dallas, Houston, and SEI. And we'll you know see what happens next year. But those are my main ones because I deal with a lot of the African issues. And that's where I have the opportunity to meet with a lot of the you know African outfitters and, and make plans for what's coming on in the next year and, and what we need to do. So for me, it's, you know, attending the main ones, which are, you know, those three for me, Conservation Force and John Jack, they represent every single, you know, hunting convention, even SHOT Show. So he's there at all of them. So now you grew up in uh, South Texas, did you not? No, sir. I grew up in Chicago. Okay. So you're a Midwestern. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, how did you end up down in San Antonio? I went on my first safari with my father when I believe I was 16, 16, 17. And I said, this was pretty awesome. So starting the next summer, I started spending my summers in Africa. I wanted, you know, becoming an apprentice and learning how to hunt and everything. When I graduated undergrad or no, right before, I think it was probably my 
my sophomore year or junior year of undergrad, I started working with Adam Clemens in Tanzania. So I switched places from South Africa to Tanzania and started hunting a lot more there, getting my license and everything. And then Adam's based out of San Antonio. So I moved to San Antonio and I went to law school and was working, you know, helping out in the office there and everything. So it was kind of an easy and quick transition. So I've been in San Antonio since Ooh, 2012, I, th- I want to say. Oh, okay. So you're relatively new to, to down here. So uh, did you grow up in a hunting family? Yes, sir. My dad was a big, oh, uh, well, he became a big hunter. So my, both my parents were immigrants from Poland. During, before my dad left Poland, hunting was a, a very kind of nobility thing there and still to some degree is in, in Poland. So it was very difficult, especially during communist times for him to have been able to have hunt. But he always loved shooting and everything. So when he came to America when he was 21, he was very shocked to learn that pretty much you know anybody can go hunting you just buy a license and you can you know buy a gun and it was it was great so i grew up my earliest memory in life is walking with my dad with my little cap gun shotgun and you know thinking i'm shooting pheasants with him and our dog <laughs> yeah so those are yeah very from a very young age i got a picture here i always have on my desk of me and my dad and his best friend and me holding one of their shotguns i must be about a year and a half so no i grew up in it oh very nice so it brings a, a large appreciation and you're, you're certainly in a game rich environment down here in South Texas. I, I was shocked when I moved here to see that you can drive down the road and all of a sudden look off in a field and there's zebra or there's a giraffe or Lord knows what else, kangaroos, you know. You just never know exactly what you're going to see. <laughs> no, exactly. You never. It's it's pretty funny. You're driving through that hill country, you never know. I was driving up to Lubbock the other day and I saw some I saw some Thompson's gazelle and just, you know, right there off of the side of the road over there by Junction and it was pretty funny. I'm like, all right, well, definitely know where we are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always fun and, and for people that are in other areas of the United States, if you look at a map, start off in San Antonio and head up towards Kerrville, that runs up through the hill country. And literally, if you were driving down that road, you just never know what's going to be standing there on the side of the road. Yeah, It's it's amazing the things that you can see. Well, as you move forward, you do a lot of hunting. I know you had just spent some time in Tanzania with your father doing some buffalo hunting. Yes, sir. Uh, one thing that we had talked about a lot was the portrayal of hunting on on social media. Tell me a little bit about your views as you see hunters with their right to post pictures of the trophies they've taken and the backlash though that comes from it. Tell, tell me a little bit about your thoughts of how that is playing out. I'm, I I would say I'm kind of in the old school of hunting and, and the old school generation. A lot of the guys that I hunted with and hunted under were, were older than me. So I think that's how I was brought up and, and in the hunting and hunting industry and everything. So I, I tend to try and be as most respectful in all cases and situations with wildlife, you know, alive and, and dead. And it's, to me, it's still um, a humbling experience. Every animal that we harvest needs to be appreciated. So I think a lot of the ways that we appreciate that is the way we portray it on, on social media or Facebook or television. You know, I, I can click on the sportsman's channel, whatever channel right now, and I can see, you know, kill them dead TV or whatever, you know, TV channel. I think that paints a quite a improper and not fully encompassing view of hunting because we always say in everything that, that that is the least of our concerns when we go hunting. It's about going out there. It's about being with friends. It's about making new friends and, you know, reliving experiences and, and everything being out there in, in the wild. So we, that's what our focus is, should be on. And that's what we need to portray it as, not when you post a picture on your Instagram or whatever and it's just a picture of the dead animal and it says the county that you shot in it and shot it in and how big it is. 
that's the the least of our worries. Um, it was it should be a picture of you and the guys around the fireplace, you know, with beers in your hands, saying, you know, here with my best buddies and everything. So I think that's one of my biggest issues. You know, we as as hunters are fairly, you know, I've been under attack by anti hunters and everything, and a lot of it has to do with the way that we respond. And it's do unto others as we would have others do unto us. So just because someone attacks you or goes after you, I don't think it it gives you the the right to go off on some attacking tangent on them and because if you question someone's intelligence and and everything you're trying to make a scientific argument to them i think you're automatically going to put them off and i've been confronted by several people on instagram where they shoot me messages and stuff and tell me you know i'm the worst thing ever and and whatnot but when i message them back i try and do it in a respectful manner and i've actually spoken with two of them called each other up on the phone had a conversation and not and both of them were related to lion and not that i would not that i think you know they're booking their next lines their first line safari but i guarantee but but they definitely at the end of the conversation told me that they now have a a better understanding of it although they might not partake in it they you know understand the reason uh, reasoning behind it why it's important and i think that should be one of our main goals in terms of using social media we have to realize that we're not going to get very many as many people to go to change their minds and make them go hunting it's to make them understand why people hunting so when they see something getting misportrayed on the media or on social media it's not that immediate backlash of wow this is absolutely you know madness and terrible and a lot of it has to do with how we portray ourselves as hunters and how we deal with anti-hunters because if someone anti-hunter comments on your thing and you call them an effing bleep and this and this then you know push them off for life from hunting just from that one negative experience if you you know treat people with respect even though they might not start off with that towards you and as, as long as you try and then if they don't then you know maybe they never will come around but i think you at least have to try yeah i think there's two things with hunting one is where hunters are many times their own worst enemy and one is apathy not getting involved thinking that the other person will handle it and i'll be okay because i'm just doing my thing over here as a whole i think that really is a detriment to the hunting industry the other is as you said how we interact i i've seen some people go after the anti-hunters in a very aggressive manner using their own tactics well it can sometimes be a, a funny thing to read it really doesn't help you really want to go after the folks that are on the line. They might not be anti-hunting, but you don't want to turn them into an anti-hunter. No, exactly. And, you know, seeing my generation, and I'm obviously an outlier from, you know, from them in terms of my beliefs and what I do, maybe not here in South Texas and stuff like that, but I guess generally across America, you could say that. I can see how when someone sees on the news that X happened to some lion in Zimbabwe, that there might be some outrage because they probably don't even know that hunting lion exists and that they probably only thought there was eight lions Bobway in the first place. So I can see where the outrage comes from, but it's, you know, how we respond to it largely. And that's one of the responsibilities that we have to take. And even, you know, farther beyond that is um, if we consider ourselves a, a fraternity of hunters, then we also have to show ourselves and treat each other with respect because the level of competition and animosity in the hunting industry going on is quite high. And we have to come together. And that doesn't mean come together and, and let, you know, people get away with murder with some, you know, you know, unethical practices or whatever they happen to be doing in terms of getting clients or whatever. But we have to realize that we're on, we're in the same boat and we sink together or, or we swim together. Exactly. That's always been my premise 
in the way I operate is, are there types of hunting that appeal to me? Of course. Are there types that don't appeal to me? Of course. But as long as everything is legal, ethical, and under the, all the proper licenses are purchased, then how am I to tell somebody that they can't enjoy some particular form of hunting, whether I like it or not? That makes me a hypocrite. Uh, I really push to say, you know, hey, you might not enjoy that, but support the person, learn about it, talk to them, ask them questions. They're generally very willing to share information about what they do. That's what makes organizations like uh, the Dallas Safari Club, uh, Safari Club International, these different get-togethers so much fun because they're just such an environment to learn from others. No, most definitely. I always enjoy the shows. It's, you know, for one, it's a great time to get in, see your old pals and your old friends and everything, but then always, you always meet someone new, always meet someone interesting, you know, someone invites you always to go, you know, to their place or whatever. So it's always, it's a great time. But, you know, like you said, as long as um, the hunting that's being conducted is fair, ethical, fully legally done and everything, then we have to support it. But under those conditions, we have to we have to paint ourselves in the best image and it doesn't help when we're, there's a bunch of fighting and everything amongst each other. Exactly. Well, now one thing, I want to switch pace a little bit with you. Um, you recently went on some hunts with your father in uh, Tanzania. Yes, sir. <laughs> you got to hunt the animal that is on the top of my bucket list of animals to hunt, which is a Cape buffalo. Yes, sir. How did that go? Uh, it went great. We were hunting in one of my favorite areas. Actually, it is my favorite area. They're right south of Arusha, about three hours in Maasai land and some very thick thickets down there. And then you got some big open areas and some mountains and everything. And it was me, my dad, and his best friend. We do a hunting trip probably every year, every other year. So we were going after buffalo. We had three buffalo on license and a bunch of planes game and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was fantastic. First day of, well, second day of the hunt, first track of buffalo. Uh, buffalo tracks that we took. We're tracking, 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 um, maybe a couple hours into it. I can see from, you know, the tracks in my tracker stopped me as well and he showed me that there's something wrong with his buffalo. He seems to be uh, vomiting water. And this time of the year, it's very dry. The water can get pretty muddy. Buffalo need very clean water. And we were pumping water in the area as well, but it's it was still tough conditions. So he seemed pretty sick in the area. The buffalo in this area are notorious for being uh, very aggressive. So as we were about to cross this little dry riverbed, I could see that I was very sick and uh, told my tracker look up ahead where it's a little bit less dense he was also signaling that he thought he was pretty close so just as we were crossing the buffalo charges and came out of nowhere i shot and dropped him at about four yards his you know he was a nice old bull so i can't complain it was obviously a huge you know rush right then and there and you always have to be on your toes but no that was fantastic good experience and that that was my buffalo and then i think uh two days later a lot of buffalo are moving out of the air in and out of the area because of the it's still very dry and the rains hadn't come so we tried a new spot and we found some buffalo tracks and it was uh three bulls together so i started taking the tracks and i was able i saw them walking along the side of a uh, kind of a dried out riverbed but i cut out in front of them and let them graze towards us and then we got a good shot and my dad's buddy took him in one nice clean shot with his 416 and then my dad was up and then the next day we got him a, a very nice, probably uh, Buffalo has some great bosses on him, a nice old bull. So we got our three Buffalo and uh, I think 12 other Plains game animals. So everybody's very happy. Well, fantastic. Now, did I hear you right? You took your Buffalo at four yards? Yeah. Yes, sir. He, he charged unprovoked, um, which happens sometimes in the area because they're in, um, in Maasai land. What you have is you have uh, the Maasai live in the area. So m- the Buffalo and the cattle are in direct competitions. In many instances, you know, the, as much as we try 
and keep them from doing it. The cattle, the herdsmen will harass the buffalo and try and keep them away from the water and everything. Or they'll try and shut off the water, but, you know, we have not shut off the water, but trying to block off the buffalo from getting in there in the evenings and everything. So they get aggressive. That area, you know, every year a couple kids will get killed. Um, the safari before me, a buffalo killed uh, two, two young kids. So they are aggressive, especially that time of year when they're losing weight and, and water is scarce. Yeah, no, he charged, and um, but I've been hunting that area for quite a long time, so I was, I was ready. <laughs> so, what type of uh, what are you shooting? I use a five hundred five Gibbs. Wow, that's a cannon. Yeah, um, it's pretty heavy. I got the mercury reducer in the back, so um, the kick isn't too bad. I mean, I can reload from my shoulder, and the the muzzle jump isn't too big. But no, I feel comfortable. I've used that gun for the last seven years, so it's, I'm very comfortable with it. I always shoot it during the off season and everything. It's, it's not too bad. I mean, you're not gonna. I don't like going to the range with it, but when things are happening, you don't really feel. It. Oh, that's that is one heck of a gun. Uh, that's a is that a double rifle? Uh, no, it's a bolt. It's a bolt. It shoots my softer 525 grain uh, Barnes triple shot. Wow, I can see you're lucky that was the type of gun you were carrying with something that's four or five yards away from you. No, definitely. Um, but you know, if, if you're off center, then you, that's um, when the big caliber comes in handy. We always, I always say for clients and everything, shoot the biggest caliber that you can shoot accurately. I think you know, PHs and everything should carry a little bit more bang behind them in case you know the shots off center or something. You need stopping power, and I've never had a problem with that. Uh, that 505 gives you really puts the brakes on them. But yeah, the one one shot was enough. But you know, I know one very good pH that I learned a lot under hunting under, and he uses a 375. And I've seen him drop numerous buffalo just with his 375. But that's just very accurate shooting. And he's had that rifle for over 20 years, and that thing is an extension of his arm. But I like to err on the side of, of a little bit bigger caliber. <laughs> well, and I have a 375 that I bought, and uh, I need to get out to the range with it. Uh, I talked with some folks at a range here in San Antonio that said that they can, because as you are well aware, not many rifle ranges like to take a, a caliber of that size uh, or anything larger. So this place said, yes, yeah, sir. we can we can handle that, bring it out. So, well, I'm not planning on going out there and shooting box after box through it uh, of ammo. No. <laughs> I am going to take it out there and they're going to mount a Strike Eagle scope from Vortex on it. And then we're going to take okay. it to the range. It, then it's prepped. Then it's time to start planning when I'm going to actually go to, uh, go to Africa. And uh, I guess I'm going to have to start talking to you and Adam and see about how putting a trip together. <laughs> yes, sir. No, I mean, there's plenty of options. No, best thing I can I recommend is shoot as much as you can, but do it comfortably. Like you said, go out there, go and shoot eight, nine rounds for the day shoot some other guns in between just so it's very relaxed but you know don't sit there and try and shoot everything in five minutes because it'll it'll put you off of the gun unless you're shooting on a lead slide or something but you know you also want to try and off the sticks and whatever or you know just off the bench and whatnot but you just it's just slow and easy and spread it out over time shoot your three or four boxes before you leave over seven trips to the gun range you know yeah that's uh like i said I, that's not the same my 30 odd six i'll shoot that all day long uh, oh exactly this 375 i think you said it right on eight to ten rounds and you put the gun away and make sure your shoulder is doing pretty well after that yeah because you could just naturally you know build up the last thing you need is a flinch so and it's not they're not even you know even a 375 that's a 300 grain bullet and it's not the funnest thing just to sit there and shoot and shoot and shoot even a 30 odd six it's still not or a 300 wind mag i wouldn't want to sit there and shoot you know a box and a half of that it'll start to rattle your head oh yeah <laughs> big time yes sir <laughs> well what is what is next for you once you're done with this 
Safari Club International Convention and you come back to San Antonio, what's next with, with you, Matt? What are you going to focus on for the remainder of 2017? Well, you know, a lot of that's up to the boss, man. So whatever John gives me to work on is what I'll be working on. We've got a lot of different projects that we're looking at. Right now, we're just trying to get everything dealing with Leopard. And main thing is we'll see also a lot is going to come of the show and we'll see how things go there. Always exciting, always busy. There's not too many groups in Oregon. You know, SCI has um, a legal side and uh, we're the main kind of two organizations in the U.S. that are dealing with the vast majority of all the hunting issues. Plates are full, but it's, you know, I guess it's a good thing. <laughs> well, and there's a number of... Uh organizations that have keep kept you busy because of the some of the senseless rules that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife tries to put in place. Uh, oh, yes, sir. It's fantastic. It's always good to meet another hunter that shares the same type of philosophy. And I think that was something that was really in place at that meeting at the Dallas Safari Club show is that everybody was there just to promote the benefits and the hunting lifestyle. And it wasn't, well, my type of hunting is better than yours. It was just a, a brotherhood of everybody just wanting to promote hunting as a whole. I think that's what it's all about. And like I said, the, the shooting of the animal is essentially like the anticlimax of the movie. That means that this, that part of that hunt or that trip or whatever is over. Everything building up to that is kind of, you know, unless you're hunting other species and everything, well, that part of it's done. So, I mean, it depends how you look at all of it. Because at some point, you're going to have to go home. Like I said, for me, the for me at least, uh, the hunting and the shooting part of of it is is the last part i've been hunting my one buddy's ranch out there in lubbock for four years now and i've shot one doe and one badger and and that's in four years of hunting and you know we're just strict on what we're looking for what we're wanting to hunt but we can go out there and, and enjoy everything else about it you know sure it's all about the experience Yes, sir. Well, fantastic. Now, if any of the listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, what's probably the best way to do that? Is it right through Facebook? Um, I can give you, or I don't know how it works, but maybe you can post my information there in the link and everything, and people are more than happy to email me or, or call me whenever they need or if anything they need. Great. And you'd be more than happy, uh, or you have the ability to talk with folks about what is needed for heading to Africa and hunting in, say, especially in Tanzania, you're going to really be up to date on that. Yes, sir. I mean, in terms of all the laws and regulations, and everything going on and if you're you know, planning on hunting lion um, in Tanzania is definitely somebody that we need to I need to be in contact with because we need to file applications and everything and you know also just a quick little push for conservation for us we are um, you know a non-for-profit um, entity and we, we you know work completely off of donations anybody's be willing to contribute and help conservation force in any way we would greatly appreciate it well great and i'll have in the show notes i'll have links to the best way to get in touch with you matt as well as dallas safari club and and everything else that you're involved in and uh, thank you that'll make it real easy for folks to to reach out to you again i can't emphasize enough to listeners that it's people like matt who have been in africa who put the feet on the ground who are doing the work they're the ones that have the knowledge so touch base with them if you want to know even if you're done the fence about well i'm not sure i should go hunting in africa because of this or that talk to somebody like matt he's been in what matt you've been in probably most of sub-sahara africa have you not oh uh, yes sir 
if somebody wants to know about Mozambique or somebody wants to know about CAR, you at least have knowledge or can put them in touch with the people that, that are quite active there. Oh, yes, sir. I'm, yes, sir. I mean, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't book hunts or anything anymore, so I won't tell you who to hunt with, but I, you know, I can definitely give you recommendations on people to hunt with. And I also think it's, it's another uh, thing that we have to work on as the clients, because the clients that are going and doing the hunts have a huge say in the future of conservation because, and, and hunting, because we need to support the operators that are doing good and are pumping money into anti-poaching, pumping money into community development. And although the hunt may seem more expensive or it is more expensive than, you know, some quote you get from somebody else, you really have to, I would ask the question, why? Why is this more expensive? What do you do? You're allowed to, you're the client, you know, you're the buyer. You can ask them what kind of community development do you do? What kind of anti-poaching do you do? And that's where you as the client, although maybe you're not the PH or, or you're not the operator, but that's where you can put your butt into to actually make a huge difference in the, you know, preservation of, of wildlife and these, you know, amazing habitats that they live in. Well, and, and I've seen this and I've, you're also good friends with a gentleman named Mike Fell, correct? Yes, sir. And Mike is a professional hunter as well, is he not? Uh, yes, sir. He's uh, he's hunted all around. Um, he was hunting in Chad, I think, some time in Angola before everything closed there. And I'm actually I'm sharing a room with him in Vegas. So <laughs> yeah, so he's another good one to to reach out to. His uh, his photography is amazing, and the trophy pictures I've seen him post on Facebook are just incredible. The, the just beautiful animals. No, yeah, Mike takes. Uh, he's a, he's very very good with the camera, and um, he loves wildlife. I mean, there's a guy that should just. Um, I don't even know why he still comes back to the U.S. I mean, he should just. He's got his U.S. paperwork, so he likes coming home every once in a while. But that man was made for the bush. I mean, I think you're pushing. I mean, in his prime, he must have been doing close to over 300 days of hunting a year. So wow. The guy, the guy liked to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yes, sir. Well, Matt, I really appreciate the time. Uh, again, I'll have everything out listed out for contacting of you. I know you got to get ready to head off to Safari Club International Show in Las Vegas. So I really appreciate your time, and we look forward to hearing how that went when you you know come back. Maybe we can touch base another six months to a year and see how it's going and what's kept you busy in 2017. Uh, sounds good to me, Jason. Thank you very much for this you know great opportunity to uh, get on your podcast. And I'm, you know, excited to hear how it turns out. Well, I appreciate it. You have a great day and uh, look forward to touching base with you at next Dallas Safari Club uh, South Texas chapter get together. Yes, sir. All right. Take care. You too, sir. And thank you for listening to this episode. I'm glad y'all keep downloading the show. I need your assistance now on a couple of items. If you are on an iPhone, please go to the podcast app and leave a review for the show. I want to hear what everyone is thinking. If you're using the Android platform, you can leave a review in the Android Google Play area for podcasts. Also, if you go to my website, www.oawjs.com, please sign up for my upcoming newsletter. There are a few giveaways that are in the planning stage, and only people signed up for the mailing list will be able to get added to the drawings. Thanks, and have a wonderful day. spring it's getting green fisher on the bed and hear those turkeys gobble it's ringing in my head the winter rise bass boat here comes another year yeah we command the outdoors around here are we Man, the outdoors 
Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs and Carolina rigs from early morning till real late. Bonfires on the creek bank, kick back a couple beers. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands The fever starts to creep Fill our freezers full of ducks Lots of tender deer Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors. So grab your guns and shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Cause we command the outdoors around here. We command the outdoors.